circumstance. I know as family is in town and, and different things like that, that um, we had the opportunity to gather together here like this today on, on the Lord's Day and to, and to think about our Lord, and I think that is wonderful. Um, I also um, am well aware of the challenges of, you know, the Christmas holiday following on a Sunday and trying to get kids here and families ready after they've opened up presents, after they've already eaten a whole bunch of bags of M&Ms and things, and having them come here. So you are to be complimented on being here this morning. I'm excited that you are here. And as everybody I know is aware, it, it is the Christmas holiday, and, and I'm sure, and as in most houses today, you probably woke up, maybe opened up presents and things like that, and, and I think that's good. You know, Christmas traditions are good, whether it's a tradition of coming together with family, eating a meal together, the exchanging of gifts, you know, that's often how we celebrate this day in our Western culture, and that's a good thing. Giving gifts is good. Spending time with family is good. Eating and fellowshipping together is good. You think about different family traditions around the holidays. Every family is, of course, a little bit different. I was thinking back to my own childhood. I remember on Christmas morning, we'd wake up, we'd open a presents, and then we'd get in the car and drive to my grandma's house, and we'd have breakfast at her house. And all the aunts and uncles and cousins would come together, and we'd have this massive breakfast there on Christmas morning. That's what we did. I remember uh, my stepdad's family, it was all Christmas Eve. That was when you, you opened up presents. You got together at, at, at family member's house and opened up presents and had a big meal then, which, by the way, being part of a blended family, I got the Christmas Eve presents and the Christmas morning presents. So I had the best of both worlds there. It worked out pretty good. But every family has different traditions. I have some friends that, that they travel on Christmas. They're down at like Universal Studios right now and, and doing that kind of thing. And they were at Disneyland yesterday and stuff like that. So different families have you know, different traditions around the holidays. And that's, you know, historical as well. Different groups, different cultures, different people at different times choose to celebrate different events in different days in different ways. In Romans chapter 14, in fact, in verse 5, it says, One person regards one day above another. Another regards every day alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it for the Lord, and he who eats does so for the Lord. For he gives thanks to God, and he who does not eat, or who eats not for the Lord, he does not eat and gives thanks to the Lord. So whatever you do today, and whatever you do pretty much every day, do it for God. Um, glorify God in what you're doing. Let his light shine through you in all that you do. And set a good example and wear the title Christian honorably and with dignity and represent Christ well in everything. But also, I also know that we're all very much well aware that historically, traditionally, this is a day, December 25th, when many who profess a faith in Jesus also choose to remember the birth of Jesus. Now, we can get into all sorts of discussions about historically, do we have any proof that it's December 25th? Not really. We know that. And I mean, we can get into all these different things about the historical inaccuracies of how the Hallmark movies portrayed the birth of Jesus versus, you know, what actually happened, all of that. But... Even at the same time, I do want to say that people remembering Jesus is a good thing. People remembering Jesus' birth is a good thing. People remembering his death is a good thing. Remembering his teachings are a good thing. Remembering his life, remember his baptism, remember feeding the 5,000, all of that. Remembering and thinking about Jesus is good. I just wish that, you know, as a culture, we would celebrate Jesus more than maybe just one or two days out of the year. You know, remembering his birth just on December 25th, we're not doing that event justice remembering and celebrating his resurrection only on Easter Sunday, we're not doing it justice, right? Because it is such a magnificent event that to just give it one day isn't really enough honor. 
Now, if you choose to set aside a special day to remember a biblical event, well, that's well within, you know, the scope of your authority in Christ and the freedom in Christ to do that. You can remember any biblical event anytime. But I am glad that many in our world today are thinking about the birth of Jesus. And if in your family gatherings today, the discussion about Jesus comes up, that's good. Because so often our discussions are about everything but Jesus. We talk about football, we talk about politics, we talk about money, we talk about everything, but we talk about each other, but we don't talk about Jesus as much as we should. So today, as many people are talking about the birth of Jesus, we're going to talk about his birth too. But we're not going to allow it to be shaped maybe just by traditional ideas of what the birth of Jesus was all about. We're going to shape it with scripture. So open up your Bibles, if you would, this morning, and I want you to begin with, we're going to be looking at the story of Jesus, particularly, of course, his birth, and we're going to look at a, a biblical, an accurate biblical description of what his birth was all about, and I want us to begin with the first book of the New Testament. We're going to begin in the book of Matthew. So if you're new to the Bible, the Bible is divided up into two big sections, an Old Testament and New Testament. If you found the New Testament section, the first book of it there is Matthew. Turn over there to Matthew, and we're going to be looking at the first chapter. The first chapter, starting in verse 18, begins with, we're introduced to two characters that before this point we're really not familiar with, and that is Mary and Joseph. It reads, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. Now, this ancient betrothal in Hebrew culture, this is kind of like our modern day engagement, but more formal. This is, you're already set in the stage, you're really formal for married. The families are coming together and all this kind of thing, but they aren't married yet. They're not living together, you know, that kind of idea yet, but this is a formal betrothal. They're leading up to the wedding day, which a wedding feast in that culture was a huge occasion, lasting several days. We remember Jesus turning the water into wine at the miracle at Cana in the book of John, you know, a celebration of a wedding. But this is before that celebration. You have a man by the name of Joseph and a woman by the name of Mary, and they are betrothed. Historically speaking, Mary was probably a teen um, probably in her mid to younger teens as well as when you think about how the betrothal process kind of worked back then and when people got married. Um, this is from a working class family. You have Mary and Joseph and Mary is found to be pregnant with a child by the Holy Spirit. Now it says that Joseph, it refers to him here as her husband, which he was later on, of course, her husband being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her plan to send her away secretly. I mean, because they're not married. She's found to be with child. He says, we got to protect her here, her reputation. I'm going to send her away secretly. But what happens? Verse 20, something amazing happens. Verse 20 says, but when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child which has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. So Joseph, as an angel, appeared to him in a dream. The angel says, don't be afraid. You can still marry her. She's not been cheating on you. She's not been, you know, unfaithful in this kind of way. She is with child by the Holy Spirit himself. And then the angel goes on to start referencing some scriptures. He says, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will save the people 
from their sin. Now already this is an allusion to Isaiah chapter 7. Joseph being, you know, of the Jewish background would have recognized this. And the angel says to Joseph, you're going to have a son, and this son you shall name Jesus. Jesus itself, the name means, it's from the Hebrew word Heshua or Joshua. It means Jehovah or Yahweh is salvation. So Jesus, Jesus' name means Jehovah is salvation. Joseph now be thinking, does this mean that what, I, what Mary is pregnant with is the Messiah? Well, according to verse 21, the child within Mary will save his people from their sins. You know, I've experienced a few birth announcements now having six children, and usually they're not announced this way. But here you have Joseph being told, Mary's pregnant, the child within her is from the Holy Spirit, and it's going to be the salvation for his people. And it goes on, it says, now all this took place to fulfill what was written or spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. We've already discussed in our sermons leading up to this point that Jesus' birth was planned and it was prophesied by God. It wasn't an accidental event. It wasn't, well, I messed up over here, so I got to have a backup plan or something. No, it was prophesied. It was planned by God and even prophesied way back there in Isaiah that God was going to come. And really, I know a lot of times we focus on the idea of the virgin birth as being a sign of the coming of the Messiah. It was, but really the big significant part of this verse is really that last word right there. Emmanuel, which means God with us. Matthew, by inspiration of God, tells us that that's what Emmanuel is translated as. God with us. Jesus on this earth, as we looked at last week, was God incarnate. It was God of the heavens coming to earth in the form of human flesh. Remember we talked about last week how big of a sacrifice that was? We talked about Jesus existing in eternity as eternal God and laying aside his divine privileges and coming to the earth in the form of a human, in the form of a servant. Let's back up a little bit, though. He also came to earth in the form of a baby. And let's back up even more than that. Now, maybe I'm being kind of extreme in this, but God of the heaven, if I understand the development of children, you know, begin as you know, a cell and multiply and so on in, in, in the mother's womb, you have the greatest, the creator of the universe, bigger than our minds can comprehend, become the smallest element of life you can think of. What a huge sacrifice. God with us. Emmanuel. Jesus would be God. Verse 24, And Joseph awoke from his sleep, and he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife. But note verse 25 again. This is a miraculous event. But kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. Jesus' conception was miraculous. Mary and Joseph weren't married yet. They weren't together yet. But yet Mary was found with child. And even Matthew here records for us that Joseph you know, kept her a virgin until after Jesus was born. Can't get around the fact that it was a miraculous birth. Now, Matthew jumps ahead now in the story here. It skips from the, the revealing from the angel to Joseph and then directly to the birth. But Luke, over in Luke chapter 2, fills in some gaps for us that Matthew 
it doesn't record. So turn over there. Luke chapter 2. Now, Matthew jumps from the revealing to Joseph in the dream to Jesus being born. But Luke deals with the time in between. So let's back up and see how Luke describes what went on. See, in Luke chapter 2, verse 1, it says, Now, in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. Now, this is probably the birth story that we're more familiar with. But here, it's the same story, but this is the, the telling of it that maybe is often quoted. It says, this was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. And Joseph went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he is of the house and family of David in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. So there's... A decree that was there's going to be a census accounting of all the people you got to go basically back to your hometown well joseph is from here so he brings his bride to be who he's engaged to not married yet to mary you know his bride here to bethlehem in order to register and mary is also with child and it says while they were there the days were completed for her to give birth so while they're there in bethlehem her, her pregnancy, you know, reaches, you know, the end here in the sense it's time for her to deliver the baby. We know, out, we know from our own studies that there wasn't a place for them, right? We, it says that the days were completed for her to give birth. We know from other accounts, and this one as well, that there's no room at the end. Because look at verse 7. It says, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. You think about the idea of creator of the universe coming to the earth in humble form. Not only as a child, poor family, a family that couldn't have a place to stay, had to stay, you know, outside. And when instead of a lovely cradle or a bassinet or anything like that to put the baby in, you have the Lord laid in a manger. An ancient feeding trough is what it is. Not a nice crib. And, and I know once you've had a few kids, you don't get so caught up in decorating the nursery all fancy and all that. But this is first baby, right? I know when we had Owen, oh, everything was planned. We had decorations on the wall that matched the pillows, that matched the crib. I mean, lucky now they get a beanbag on the floor for the next one. But I mean, with the first kid, I mean, this is a big deal, right? And yet, here you have Lord of the Universe laid in a feeding trough in a manger. The story goes on, though, about the shepherds coming and visiting him. In verse 8, it says, In the same region there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you, and you will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly, and this is just amazing to me, because the announcement of the arrival of the Savior of the world, God incarnate in the flesh, was to shepherds. To again, working class, blue collar, you know, it wasn't the kings. It wasn't the elite shepherds. And now, verse 13, it says, And suddenly there appeared 
with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host. And I don't know what a multitude looks like, but it's got to be amazing. He says, a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is well pleased. Now the angels leave and the shepherds go and they visit Mary and Joseph and they see the baby in the manger. Verse 16, they remember what the angel said and they were just amazed by all of it. But verse 19, it says, but Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. The shepherds went back glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen just as it had been told to them. Visitors to the newborn Jesus shepherds. They visit him there while he's in the manger. Now we go later on in the early stages here of Jesus' life. Jesus also has other visitors. Matthew records to us that he has some visitors from the east that come as well. In Matthew chapter 2, we have these men. Um, your version may say magi. I, I know we're maybe his, like King James Version talks about wise men, that idea. Most likely these would have been like Babylonian astronomers. These are people that looked at the sky, that studied it, and we find out that they visited Jesus too. In verse chapter 2, verse 1 of Matthew, it says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who had been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. They saw something special. They were familiar with the sky. They were familiar with the stars. They saw a special star. They said, we saw his star in the east, and we have come to worship him. And Herod is troubled by this. Herod doesn't like the idea of a Messiah coming, and you know what Herod does and, and the crimes that he commits. But Herod trusts the scribes and the priests enough to ask them, where's the Messiah going to be born? And in verse 5, they said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what had been written by the prophet. And then they quote to him, Micah chapter 5, verse 2, which says, And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah, for out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Verse 7 says that Herod determined from the Magi what time the star appeared, how long it took for them to get there, and so on. And he has a plan to destroy the child, but... The Magi, they go in a different way, and they come, and they visit Jesus. Now he's no longer in the manger. He's out of the stable. He's in a house, verse 11. It says, and after coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country, by another way. Baby Jesus is, Jesus is born, form of a, of a child. You have shepherds visit him. You have Gentiles, the Syrians here, they come and, and, and visit him. You have Herod already plotting his destruction. You have uh, the baby being born, not in a fancy place, but yet being laid in a manger. Humble beginnings for the Lord of the universe. In his early life, wasn't, you know, the stable, beautiful home life as we like to think. In fact, when you start reading in verse 13, they flee. They flee to Egypt because Herod is slaughtering babies trying to stop the Messiah. After going to Egypt, they go back up and they settle again. Not in the holy city, not in the city uh, where a palace might be, but they settle in the region around Galilee. In a poorer region, 
a working class region, you have the Messiah in his early life. But as we look at all of this and put it together, there's some facts we got to understand. Jesus' birth, it was miraculous. It was an amazing, miraculous event, and the hand of God was evident in all of it. And we can't get into all of it right now today, but you have the hand of God in the prophecies. You have the hand of God in the conceptions. You have the hand of God in the announcement of angels. You have the hand of God in the star moving and guiding the Magi. You have the hand of God protecting Jesus from Herod when he wants to kill him. You have the hand of God guiding them to Egypt and back. You have the hand of God in every single instance here about the coming of Jesus. It fulfilled many prophecies and it proved the deity. It proved that that child was the Lord. It was a marvelous event because as the passage it was announced to Joseph said, Jesus would ultimately save his people from their sins. Jesus was born, Jesus lived, and Jesus died to save mankind. Or to put it another way, he was born, he lived, and he died to save you, to save me. See, this wasn't just uh, uh, some kind of neat event for, for kids to learn about you know, early on and, and to have a nice, cute nativity. See, it's bigger than that. This is God in the flesh coming to this earth. This is God in the flesh growing and maturing, becoming a man, and ultimately dying on the cross so that we can live forever with him. Jesus left the manger. So I, 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 my point is this. Don't just focus on the baby Jesus. See, so often our world is caught up with loving only the baby Jesus. Instead of just loving the baby Jesus, we need to move out of the, the stable. We need to take him out of the manger. We need to take him, you know, even past the cross and the exalted Lord waiting his return in the heavens. That's the Lord that we serve today. So my point to all of us is this. Let's move past the story of Jesus in the manger. Let's move even past just, you know, symbols of Christ on the cross. Let's move beyond that to he's my exalted Lord. He makes it possible for me to spend eternity with him. I'm going to serve him with every ounce of my being. So today, as many are remembering the birth of Jesus, I'm glad that they are. But I hope that all of us don't just stop with remembering the birth of Christ. Let's move past that. See, most people don't commit to serving baby Jesus in the manger. I mean, let's, let's be plain, right? Baby Jesus in the manger isn't intimidating. Baby Jesus in the manger isn't a God that requires obedience. Baby Jesus in the manger isn't one that talked about things like hell and judgment. But Jesus left the manger. So often we only keep him there. Let's allow Jesus to be our Lord of our entire life. Let's not just remember and celebrate him one day, two days, three days, a week out of the year. Let's remember, celebrate, and serve Jesus with every ounce of our being until he comes again or we go home to be with him for eternity. The lesson is yours this morning. If Jesus is not Lord of your life, we want to help you get in a relationship with him. We'll study with you. We'll pray with you. If you are ready to be baptized into Christ and have your sins washed away, calling upon the name of the Lord, you can do that today. If you've strayed away and you need to come back, we'll help you be restored. I know that today is, is a day that's filled with nostalgia. It's a day that's filled with love and peace and joy and family and giving. Those are all good principles. But what makes those principles good is they're not human, you know, character traits. They're character traits of God. Giving 
That's, that's God. He gave his only begotten son. Peace on earth, goodwill toward men, joy to the world. All those slogans we say around Christmas time, they originate with God. Jesus was the manifestation of God's glory. Jesus is what, what brought peace to this earth. He's what gives us hope. And when you follow him, you can be part of his family. Your family might not be the most pleasant place to be around on Christmas Day. There might be a lot of dysfunction. There might be a lot of arguing. There might be a lot of hurt feelings. But you can become part of the family of God today. If there's any way that we can help you, I ask you to come as together we stand and sing the invitation song.